Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The feds have been looking at Rudy Giuliani for months. The lead starts right now. Breaking today, new details on the federal investigation into the president's lawyer and his dealings in Ukraine, looking into an alleged operation that could go all the way to the White House. Shocking comments, even by President Trump's standards, calling his deadly decision to pull troops from Syria strategically brilliant while trashing our former allies left behind. Plus, welcome to frontrunner status. Moderate Democrats gang up on Senator Elizabeth Warren, while the most troubling news for Joe Biden may have nothing to do with last night's debate. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We start with breaking news in our politics lead today. Shocking news that the office of the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York is investigating the president's attorney, Rudy Giuliani, who himself used to be the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. The probe deals with not only potential corruption, but also includes a counterintelligence investigation about whether Giuliani helped wealthy foreign figures attempt to influence the White House. Joining me is CNN's Evan Perez and Sarah Murray, who broke this story for CNN, and former Federal Prosecutor Kim Whaley, whose new book, How to Read the Constitution and Why, is out now. Evan, let me start with you. The fact that there's a counterintelligence component to this, how significant is that? It's a big deal, because what this means is that this goes beyond just uh, run-of-the-mill financial crimes, uh, alleged financial crimes, uh, possible corruption. Uh, It means that there's a national security component, that there is a national security threat component to this investigation. And that's why FBI agents uh, and prosecutors have been looking into whether or not Giuliani, either wittingly or unwittingly, was essentially being part, being used as part of of an influence operation, an influence operation that's targeting the Trump White House. In other words, people overseas trying to figure out a way to use Rudy Giuliani and his close ties with the president in order to try to influence the way the U.S. does business, the way U.S. policy is carried out. And that's a big deal. And Sarah, um, obviously it was last week that these two figures connected to Giuliani, these two Soviet-born individuals who were helping guide him through this Ukrainian dirt digging. Uh, They were indicted for campaign uh, finance violations, but the indictment didn't even mention Giuliani. What does that say to you about the potential scope of this investigation? No, and, and, you know, when they put this indictment out, it was relatively narrow. It was based on these campaign finance violations. It had to deal with Lev Parnas and Igor Furman. And they made clear, though, that this was an ongoing investigation. And I think now we're starting to get a glimpse of just how widespread that investigation could be. It was just yesterday, I think, that Rudy Giuliani said that he doesn't need a lawyer anymore. Uh, and I don't necessarily know that that is going to be correct for him over the longer term. I mean, what we are learning today is that it's very clear that investigators were looking into how Rudy Giuliani could potentially be playing into this entire scheme. As a, And as Evan says, whether it was wittingly or unwittingly and why he was in business with these two guys to begin with. I mean, when you talk to people about these guys, they say these were really shady characters and essentially Rudy Giuliani should have known better. Uh, and, and Kim, how serious is it that uh, there are counter intelligence investigators involved with this probe. Yeah, sure. As Evan mentioned, there would be criminal investigators on the one side and the FBI and then counterintelligence personnel. And the idea is to, to root out 
espionage to root out essentially operating in this instance, potentially on behalf of the Ukrainian government. That's not consistent with what's best for American, you know, American people. And to the extent to which President Trump was part of that, that's really scary stuff. I think it's really important to keep in mind in light of the impeachment hearing. Now we're seeing the Justice Department kick in. That power of a grand jury subpoena, it's overseen by a federal judge. We don't have these questions of can Congress actually enforce these subpoenas. We have professional prosecutors gathering the evidence, not just members of Congress. Because remember, in Whitewater, which I worked on, Ken Starr did all the investigation, handed it in one big binder. Here you go. Here are the facts. And Congress has kind of been a bit hamstrung doing it on its own. Now it has the Justice Department behind it. And one of the fascinating things about this, uh, Jake, is that, you know, last month when we got a briefing about uh, the president's uh, July phone call with the Ukrainian president. One of the things that we heard was from the Justice Department is that they had looked at campaign finance as an issue and that they had found no violation. Case closed. Turns out the New York prosecutors, the New York FBI, was working on this uh, separate case and it appears to be a lot bigger, certainly involving the president's attorney, personal attorney, and, and that's one of the things that main justice headquarters of the Justice Department doesn't necessarily have tight reins on. We all know that the New York prosecutors kind of march to their own drumbeat, and they yeah. do things sometimes that headquarters doesn't really like. So we'll see how this goes. There's a lot more here that is kind of out of control, frankly, from D.C. than, than people realize. And let's remind people, Rudy Giuliani mentioned in the original Trump Zelensky rough transcript by President Trump as the guy to talk to who, quote, knows what's happening. And Giuliani admitted to Chris Cuomo that he asked Ukrainian officials about Joe Biden. Take a listen. So you did ask Ukraine to look into Joe Biden? Of course I did. You just said you didn't. And you want to cover some ridiculous charge that I urged the Ukrainian government to investigate corruption. Well, I did, and I'm proud of it. And let's walk through Giuliani's role. Former Trump administration officials are accusing him of leading a shadow diplomacy, conducting foreign affairs in a, an unofficial capacity. He's a personal uh, attorney for the president. Uh, he's mentioned in that phone call with the Ukrainian uh, president. Uh, he, there were these guys that were arrested last week, uh, Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman, and they donated to Congressman Pete Sessions, pushing him Sessions to fire that U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. He's like the, the center of this whole thing. He is, and he's really at the center of what was essentially a Ukrainian and or Russian misinformation campaign that made its way all the way up to President Trump. And Rudy Giuliani was really at the heart of that. He was one of the people, and the president certainly embraced it and championed it as well, but he was one of the people People in the president's ear saying that, you know, this ambassador seems to have a lot of problems. She's bad mouthing you. She's not doing what you want. And, and by the way, there's all this information out there about the Bidens. You know, we should really be pressing them to investigate. And Giuliani was going on his own trips to press Ukrainian officials for more information. Now, we don't have any indication that any of that information is true, that the Bidens did anything wrong, that this ambassador did anything wrong. In fact, everyone that you talk to about it essentially says that this information can't be believed and the Ukrainian officials who are peddling it are liars. And yet Giuliani wrapped his arms around this. He took it to the president and the president fully embraced it. And it's hard to believe that that is not something that that investigators are interested in. All right. Thanks one and all for being here. Appreciate it. A former top aide to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo just finished answering questions in the impeachment inquiry. What he says caused him to abruptly quit his position at the State Department. Then President Trump treating the Oval Office like a game show, surprising a grieving family whose son was killed in a move that the family describes as an ambush. Stay with us. 
Uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi uh, speaking right now at the White House following a meeting between President Trump and congressional leaders. Let's listen in. Taken in Syria. It calls upon the president to urge the, uh, uh, the Turks to exercise restraint, for us to have humanitarian assistance to the, some of the Kurds. Children are being killed there. And very, very importantly, and most importantly, it asks for a clear plan on how we're going to fight ISIS. I think that vote, the size of the vote, more than two to one of the Republicans voted to oppose what the president did, probably got to the president uh, because he was shaken up by it. And that's why uh, we couldn't continue in the meeting because he was just not relating to the reality of it. Uh, again, we are proud of our men and women in uniform. Those who have been in Syria have conducted themselves in a way that makes us all very proud. And I conveyed that to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Uh, we had some questions about ISIS, and I'm going to defer uh, to distinguished uh, a leader from New York, well, from the Senate from New York, who focused on ISIS in the meeting. Mr. Yeah, thank you, uh, Speaker, and thank you, Leader Hoyer. Um, I told the president that being from New York, as he was, we're particularly aware of the problems, the terrorism, that an organization like ISIS can create. And the fact that someone no less than General Mattis has said that ISIS has been enhanced, that the danger of ISIS is so much greater, worries all of us. I asked the president what his plan was to contain ISIS. He didn't really have one. He said the Turks and the Syrians will guard the ISIS prisoners. I said, is there any intelligence evidence that the Turks and the Syrians will have the same interest that the Kurds or we did in guarding ISIS? And the Secretary of Defense was, thank God he was honest, he said, we don't have that evidence. And so I said, then how can we think that this is a plan when there are Syrians and Turks who are not our friends, who ISIS, if they escape, does them very little harm? How can we let this happen? They didn't have any good answer. This is appalling. The president had no plan, no real plan for containing ISIS other than relying on the Syrians and the Turks. Then why did we spend a decade, billions of dollars, and lost lives in trying to curtail ISIS if on a phone call, on a whim, the president is going to undo all of that and turn this over to the Turks and the Syrians. I would also say one other thing. He was insulting, particularly to the speaker. She kept her cool completely, but he called her a third-rate politician. He said that the, there are communists involved, and you guys might like that. I mean, this was not a dialogue. It was sort of a diatribe, a nasty diatribe, not focused on the facts, particularly the fact of how to curtail ISIS, a terrorist organization that aims to hurt the United States in our homeland. Thank you. I just briefly, uh, you're going to hear the president say we walked out. We were offended deeply by his treatment of the Speaker of the House of Representatives. Uh, the President, in my view, has created a crisis in the Middle East, a crisis that undermines 
the world's confidence in America. Uh, this crisis required a rational, reasonable discussion between those of us who have been elected by the American people to set policy. Unfortunately, the meeting deteriorated into a uh, diatribe, as Leader Schumer has said, uh, and a very offensive uh, accusations being made by the President of the United States. I have served with six presidents. I have been in many, many, many meetings like this. Never have I seen a president treat so disrespectfully a co-equal branch of the government of the United States. Uh, I'll yield to the speaker and to the leader for questions. I just want to say this other thing, and that is, I think the president was very shaken up by the fact that 350, was that 354, I have to make sure I had the number correct, uh, and that means the majority, a big majority of the Republicans voted. There are 194 voted. Republicans, 60 voted but, against a resolution which said the president's decision was wrong and dangerous and lacking in giving our allies confidence that we would stick with them in time of trouble. And one point I want to make that I hadn't made a moment ago. So Leader McConnell said he thought the president's decision was wrong. He said it in strong terms. I beseech Leader McConnell to put the same resolution that passed the House on the floor of the Senate. It's a bipartisan resolution sponsored by Senator Menendez, a Democrat, and um, the senator from Indiana, Young, a Republican. And we urge Leader McConnell not just to condemn the president, but put this resolution on the floor. Because the, the, the safety of America, the safety of the Kurds, are in the hands of one person, President Trump. And the best way to pressure him is a strong bipartisan resolution, such as pass the House, to undo the damage he has done. Thank you. Go ahead, what we witnessed on the part of the president was a meltdown. Sad to say. It did not come up. Not at all. No, it did not come up. It did not come up. When he called you a communist, can you just No, he did not call us a communist. He said, yes. He said, let's just clarify that. He said the communists are taking or Some of ISIS were communists, and you would be happy. That might make you happy. That might make you happy. And the speaker said, yes, we walked out. At that point? No, at the point that he was. When he started calling Speaker Pelosi a third-rate politician. Which I said, I wish you were a politician, Mr. President, then you would know the art of the possible. Could the Republicans stay? Yeah, some of the other members on both sides stayed behind. They wanted questions. I waited a moment because I wanted questions. to ask him the question about intelligence reports on the Turks and Syrians guarding Express ISIS, we which also, I think is crucial. We also expressed our concern that we have been asking for a bi a, 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 a all member that be bipartisan a briefing to the House of Representatives uh, on what is happening in Syria. It was scheduled for tomorrow but they uh, uh, canceled it. And so we, that was part of our question, too. Why are you not briefing all of the members of Congress? Thank you, Thank you very much. We just heard uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer, and Senate, Major uh, Senate Minority Leader uh, Chuck Schumer, uh, Democrat of New York, all talking about how they had walked out of a meeting 
with President Trump. Uh, Schumer called it a nasty diatribe by President Trump, where he insulted House Speaker Pelosi as a third-rate politician. Uh, Speaker Pelosi said that the president had a meltdown. Uh, And this comes, we should note, uh, Jeff Zeleny, uh, right after the House of Representatives overwhelmingly, 354 to 60 with three voting present, uh, voted to rebuke uh, President Trump's decision uh, to pull U.S. service members from the border of Turkey and Syria, from northern Syria. That includes 129 Republicans, including all of the House Republican leadership, voting to rebuke President Trump's decision. A pretty stunning diss by the House. It is stunning. and something that has really only happened just a couple of times that I can think of during this administration, a small handful of times. And look, I think that uh, you know, uh, sums up the sentiment among uh, Republicans across the spectrum, evangelicals, Uh, moderate Republicans and others who believe that, A, they're not sure if the president has a strategy, and if he does, they're not um, believing it's the right one here. But this is something that I guess the question is what happens in the Senate. As Senator Schumer was saying there, is Leader McConnell going to uh, bring this up in the Senate or not? But uh, I can't remember a time, if we're thinking back 18 years since 9-11, that there would be this type of discussion, this type of meltdown, politics aside here, about ISIS. It it really is... uh, a little striking here that there does not seem to be cooler heads on any side here prevailing. And we've heard some really strong language from one of the president's strongest supporters in the Senate, Senator Lindsey Graham today, uh, saying that the president is going to have potentially blood on his hands if these prisoners of uh, these ISIS prisoners uh, escape and, and kill people, including Americans. I know it is. You know, it's incredible from a political perspective because we've seen Lindsey Graham align himself so closely with the president and we're now seeing him draw daylight on something we're used to seeing him draw daylight on with past presidents, which is when it comes to foreign policy. But I think it's also highlighting, you know, a real concern here. I think people are sort of aghast by the images they've seen. I think they've seen what's what's playing out is exactly what they expected and feared would play out when the president has made, you know, the decisions that he has made here. And that's why I think you're seeing these kinds of reactions. You know, people like Lindsey Graham were the ones who were issuing stern warnings about removing U.S. troops in the first place. And now they're saying, we warned you and it's only going to get worse. All right. Everyone stick around. we got more to talk about, uh, but you just heard from Democrats outside the White House. We expect Republican congressional leaders to speak any moment. We're going to bring that to you. We're going to sneak in this quick break. Stay with us. Any moment we expect Republican congressional leaders to come out of that door and speak outside the White House after that meeting on Syria with the president, as President Trump today dismisses the power vacuum that Russia seems ready to fill, the power vacuum created when President Trump made a sudden decision to pull U.S. troops out of northern Syria, abandoning a U.S. ally fighting ISIS, uh, the ally being the Kurds. It's a move that the president called strategically brilliant today. His former envoy in charge of fighting ISIS called it disastrous. Our soldiers are not in harm's way, as they shouldn't be, as two countries fight over land. That has nothing to do with us. Syria may have some help with Russia, and that's fine. Uh, It's a lot of sand. They've got a lot of sand over there. I want to bring in uh, Republican Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky. He sides with the president on pulling U.S. troops from northern Syria. He's also out with a brand new book called The Case Against Socialism. Congratulations on the book, Senator. We'll get to that in a second. I do want to uh, ask you about this. You might be President Trump's biggest supporter when it comes to the move to withdraw U.S. service members from northern uh, Syria. What advice did you offer the president before he made this decision? He and I didn't talk one-on-one on on it. This was his decision. But I agree completely that it was the best thing, not only for our troops, but it's also the best way to adhere to the Constitution. The Constitution says you don't declare a war unless Congress votes on it. And who are we going to declare war against? Our ally Turkey, 
the Free Syrian Army that used to be our ally, Assad. It's a sort of a messy situation, but he was told by the Turks that they were coming one way or another, and they had 50 troops. 50 troops don't stop 10,000 troops. You don't go to war with 50 troops. I think he made the right decision. I'm reminded of Beirut when we made the wrong decision and had 300 Marines in a barracks that weren't well protected. I think if 50 troops had been massacred in there, then we'd mm-hmm. be in an enormous war. So I think he made the right decision. You really think that Erdogan would have sent the Turks across the border with U.S. service members? I mean, that's the only thing that had kept them from attacking right. before. Well, no, I don't think so. I think that uh, you, what you found is in the early footage you saw, and I think you all showed some of this footage, that you saw some of our special operations teams having bombs still dropping very close to them. Right. So they didn't seem to be deterred, even though we still had soldiers in the region. So I think it was strategically the best thing to do. But also, here's the thing that may end up happening. This may be the best thing that ever happened to the Kurds because they need a protector in Syria that's willing to stay. We had been preventing having them talk to Assad. Now they've made an alliance with Assad. And the irony of this is it may end up being the best thing that ever happened to them. If Assad and Erdogan can now have a truce and Assad will agree to patrol the Syrian side of this, Mm. there's a possibility that the Kurds could have an autonomous region similar to what they have in Iraq. That seems like very wishful thinking, if you don't mind my saying. We'll see, Jake. Nobody knows. the, The president's former point man on ISIS said today that, quote, U.S. personnel have been scrambling to evacuate positions surrounded by hostile Turkish backed opposition forces. They are evacuating under duress and then bombing positions so nobody can see seize them. Do you have any concerns about, forget the idea of withdrawing U.S. forces, we understand that you support that. Do you ever understand about the way many people feel this was rash, it was sudden, it was not done in consultation with the Pentagon, it was not done in consultation with the State Department, with U.S. allies, and there are Kurds who are innocent civilians who have been killed by the Turks and the Turkish-backed militia. He said from the very beginning our goal was to wipe out ISIS, and we did. Our goal was not to create a homeland for the Kurds. But ISIS if prisoners you, are, are getting free out of the prisoner. Well, if you prisoners. want to have a homeland for the Kurds, it might take 100,000 troops. That's not what we signed up for. That's no. not what he said we were for. And I'm not for putting that kind of troops into an area. See, here's the irony. The left hated the Iraq war and hated George Bush for it. A Syrian war where we went in and create a homeland for the Kurds would be just as messy as the Iraq war. So I think the left needs to get over their hatred of President Trump and say, you know what, do we want another messy war in the Middle East? It used to be the left was against war in the Middle East. What happened to the left? But what what I'm asking about, though, is if there wasn't a better and more measured and more... programmatic way to do this with he planning moved, as opposed I, to just like get them out I, right now. I guess now. I, I have never seen so much hyperventilating over moving 50 soldiers. Normally, the Lindsey Grahams of this world would say Article 2 gives the president the authority to do whatever he wants and we don't question the president because he has latitude. Now Lindsey Graham and all the war caucus are up in arms on both sides of the aisle mm-hmm. saying, oh my goodness, President Trump moved 50 soldiers. Well, he may well have prevented them from being from dying in a massacre and drawing us into a big, huge war with five different parties in it. It wasn't, it's not just the, we should just note, it's not mm-hmm. just the war hawks, that, the way you described Lindsey Graham. There was just this major vote in the House in which it was overwhelmingly rebuking President Trump, including the majority right. of House Republicans. I would say that the majority of leadership on the Republican and the Democrat side are interventionists. They are be- people who believe, for example... Not just the leadership, the entire... But, it's like, oh, I know. It was like 360 but, but here, I'll give you an example. The president said, we should leave Afghanistan. Mitch McConnell and all the Republican leadership and the Democrat leadership voted to rebuke the president, saying it would be precipitous to leave after 19 years. This is the prevailing swamp opinion. 
Republican and Democrats are unified in being in support of war, support of intervention, and support of never going home. Do you have any concern about the ISIS prisoners that we're now told uh, there is a great risk of them right. escaping? And President right. Trump's response was, well, they're not going to come here. They're just going to go to Europe. Well, here, here's my response. Everybody says, well, the Kurds are going to use this and they're going to release them on purpose now. No, no. Why? President Trump said that. I'm not saying why, that. I'm why saying- would, no, why would the Kurds? The Kurds live there. The Kurds are the ones who have seen the way ISIS behaved. Why would the Kurds release these people? I'm not, not saying release purposely them. Be release them, but are, do you not have any concerns? There are no, I do, of- but I'm actually a little bit reassured with the alliance with uh, Syria and with Assad that it'll be less chaotic. And I predict... Who's alliance you, with Assad? With the the Kurds, Kurds allying with Assad. My prediction is this, and I may be wrong. Predictions are wrong. But I think the Turks are going to slow their advance, and I think it's going to come to a standstill. And I, th- I predict that there actually will be a discussion between Erdogan and Assad, and I think there's a possibility we can get the Turks to pull back within Turkey. But last question. I mean, the Russians and Turkey and Assad could have done something about ISIS to begin with, and they didn't, and that's why the U.S. went in. But here's the thing is, the U.S. has been preventing any kind of discussion because it's been the policy of the War Caucus to have Assad removed. This is the John Bolton, this is the Lindsey Graham move. They believe in regime change. They want to get rid of Assad, and until Assad goes, but also the Hillary Clinton group wants this too. So it's really left and right saying we have to have regime change. Well, the the troops weren't there for regime change. They were there to fight ISIS, but I do- Initially they were, but everybody kept changing their their point of view on what they were there for. I will get a nasty note from your publisher if I don't ask at least one question about the book, The Case Against Socialism. You write in the book that the poor are better off under capitalism than under socialism because they're, they're motivated to work. You write, if government destroys this incentive, it also destroys productivity and economic growth. But you, you, you note in the book, you acknowledge that younger people are no longer as enthralled with capitalism as, as the older generation. Do you think that you're losing this argument? I think that we have to be concerned that the younger generation isn't appreciating where all the great wealth of America came from. Our GDP has doubled eight times in the last 200 years. In 1820, poverty was 90 percent of the whole world. Now poverty is less than 10 percent, measured in extreme terms, less than $2 a day. Capitalism is working. Capitalism has created enormous riches. Just in the last four years under President Trump, the median income's gone up $4,000. There is a lot of good news out there, and people get, I guess, obsessed with the sturm and drang, and they think, oh, it's a terrible world. It's the best time ever to be alive. Longevity, childhood mortality, infant mortality, everything is down. It is a great world to be alive in. Wow, listen to you. Optimistic, <laughs> Grandpa. I don't think I've ever heard you sound that way before. The book is The Case Against Socialism. Come back. We have lots more Thank questions you. about Syria, not to mention Ukraine. I, I, I do have more questions. Congratulations again on the book. We're going to wait, continue to wait for Republican congressional leaders to speak outside the White House any moment. Plus, President Trump defending himself when it comes to the impeachment inquiry. Why the testimony today on the Hill matters. Stay with us. In our politics lead now, President Trump frantically trying to muddy the waters as another key witness testified today in the impeachment investigation in the House of Representatives. Former Trump administration official Michael McKinley, a senior advisor to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo until McKinley resigned last week, just wrapping up testifying behind closed doors today. And as CNN's Alex Marquardt reports, a source confirms that McKinley told lawmakers that he had been concerned about the firing of a U.S. ambassador who had been sounding the alarm about the activities in Ukraine of the president's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani. 
Today, a new member added to the parade of officials going before Congress, all confirming the concerns raised by the whistleblower over what has been called the president's shadow policy with Ukraine. Now, stunning new revelations from a former top advisor to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, accusing him, according to sources, of staying silent as Rudy Giuliani stepped up his pressure to have the president recall the U.S. ambassador from Ukraine. Mike McKinley testifying to lawmakers less than a week after abruptly resigning his position. Most of this is uh, a concern by a colleague for an ambassador that he held in high regard. Behind closed doors, he said he repeatedly asked Pompeo to show support for former ambassador Marie Yovanovitch, who sounded alarms about Giuliani trying to dig up dirt on the Bidens in Ukraine. She said she was targeted by Giuliani with false accusations and was removed from her post by President Trump. Yovanovitch had been railing against corruption in Ukraine, including opposing the Ukrainian prosecutor who was investigating the company that Hunter Biden was on the board of and who has been indicted three times for corruption himself. McKinley's testimony, like that of officials before him, reflecting the whistleblower's report. Despite this from the president today. The whistleblower didn't know what he was talking about. It started with former special envoy to Ukraine, Kurt Volker, one of the so-called three amigos who led the president's outreach to Ukraine. He provided text messages showing Giuliani's active role in pushing for an investigation of Joe Biden and his son. Then Yovanovitch, who told lawmakers there was a concerted campaign against her, that she was attacked by Giuliani and his associates. On Monday, former White House Russia advisor Fiona Hill testified she was also deeply uncomfortable with the rogue foreign policy Giuliani was leading. She said her boss, former National Security Advisor John Bolton, called Giuliani a hand grenade who was going to blow everybody up. She was followed by George Kent, also a career diplomat, who testified he was told by a boss to lie low after complaining about Giuliani's projects in Ukraine. And today... McKinley's revelations about Pompeo's role. Everything we've been hearing in depositions has corroborated the evidence we have in front of us. And we have just gotten word that another crucial official will soon be testifying. That's Ambassador Bill Taylor, the most senior U.S. diplomat in Ukraine. He was the one who, according to released text messages, said it was crazy for the White House to withhold $400 million in military aid to Ukraine to help the president's political campaign. And Jake, he is set to testify on Tuesday. All right, Alex Marquardt, thanks so much. Uh, Let's uh, chew over this with a Our brain trust here, David, uh, we should note you're a Trump 2020 campaign advisor and a lobbyist who works on behalf of energy, defense and transportation (laughs) companies. It seems clear that the president and the White House uh, were not willing to back up career foreign service individuals and were siding instead with Rudy Giuliani and dirt of questionable veracity that he had dug up. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what it seems. And and listen, but but back to but but as far as Ukrainian ambassador goes, there have been there have been several ambassadors, Korean ambassadors, foreign service ambassadors. Different postings that have kind of thrown in the towel the president's this administration's had disagreements with. So it's not just not just the Ukraine here. But she says she was fired because uh, of misinformation that was coming from Ukraine that Rudy has admitted that he helped pass on to the State Department uh, and well, to the White House. Well, we'll see. I mean, we'll, we'll see when, when these hearings all when it, when it all kind of comes down to it. You know, again, you know, it, it'd be a 
It'd be, it'd be good to get, get a consistent story from, uh, from Mayor Giuliani. Yeah, that's for sure. Karen? Don't, don't hold your breath. Look, part of what is so frustrating about this, having worked in the Clinton administration and worked with folks at the State Department and our national security apparatus, these are policy people. These are not political people. And these are the people who, from administration to administration, are the keepers of the continuity of our relationship, right? Things change a little bit here and there between uh, agendas and different presidents, but not to this degree. And, I, and from what I think we've heard, these folks were legitimately shocked by what they saw. And essentially what it sounds like we're hearing is, this three amigos sort of created their own back channel. Who was that? The, uh, oh, the two? The Volker, Giuliani, and um, Sunland. Sunland. Oh, Rick Perry, yes. Uh, <laughs> that they sort of created with Mick, Rick Mulvaney mm-hmm. somewhere in Mick the, Mulvaney, there. Yeah. Mick Mulvaney, there. That they sort of created their own kind of back channel so that they could circumvent the normal process that we would go, you would go through and create their own sort of policy channel rather than, and, and frankly put at risk, our, the normal relationship, which is that the United States, we, we are supposed to be a big supporter of the Ukraine. We should never threaten them. And, and, and Sarah, one of the big uh, wild cards right now, we don't know if former National Security Advisor John Bolton is going to testify and if he is going to testify, what he's going to say. Uh, he's the one that said Rudy Giuliani was a hand grenade that could blow everybody up. Uh, what, what, what do you think? I mean, it's he's weirdly silent right now, right? This is not, I think, the John Bolton that Washington is used to. So if I were a betting woman, I would bet that he's going to reemerge uh, at some point. Although, you know, we've seen the committee work quietly, I think, behind the scenes to arrange some of these things, especially some that are sensitive. And I think, you know, Bill Taylor is actually going to be a really interesting person who, when he shows up on the Hill next week, I mean, this is the person who is pressing Gordon Sumlin saying, I don't, you know, I, this, it's crazy that we're withholding assistance as part of, you know, a campaign issue. Is this now a quid pro quo? He was pressing that and he was pressing it in a way that indicated to you that he really wanted to get it in writing. Yeah, he wanted I think with, a paper with trail. each witness, we're, we're sort of we're learning more. I mean, these aren't people who are not making headlines. Yeah. And, and, and Jeff, the president uh, trying to project confidence, trying to project uh, that he's not concerned about this. What's it like behind the scenes at the White House? Well, behind the scenes at the White House, I mean, there is a lot of concern about just what is going on. I mean, I, th- I, I was very inter- interested earlier today. The president was speaking very uh, favorably about uh, Mr. Bolton, which has not always been the case. I mean, no. he has said that he was, you know, certainly not essentially had, had bad relationships. Exactly. He was fired. But, you know, usually when people are on the verge of possibly being uh, called to the Hill to uh, testify, <laughs> the president suddenly is being nice. So, look, behind the scenes, people are uh, concerned, worried, don't really know what's going on. But this whole Syria policy now is overtaking this as well. So it's a bit of a mess over there as his mood indicates. All right, Senator Elizabeth Warren got a firsthand lesson on what it's like to be a frontrunner. Today, the attacks continue. That story next. We have some breaking news for you now. The White House just confirmed to me that President Trump sent a letter to Turkey's president on October 9th. Let me read you the letter. It is quite something. Uh, Dear President Erdogan, this is a week ago, October 9th, so this is before uh, the president announced his uh, troop withdrawal from northern Syria. Dear Mr. President, President of Turkey, quote, let's work out a good deal. You don't want to be responsible for slaughtering thousands of people, and I don't want to be responsible for destroying the Turkish economy. And I will. I've already given you a little sample with respect to Pastor Brunson. I have worked hard to solve some of your problems. Don't let the world down. You can make a great deal. General Mazloum is willing to negotiate with you, and he is willing to make concessions that they would never have made in the past. I am confidentially enclosing a copy of his letter to me just received. History will look upon you favorably if you get this done the right and humane way. It will look upon you forever as the devil if good things don't happen. 
Don't be a tough guy. Don't be a fool. I will call you later. Sincerely, Donald Trump. So I have to say, I saw this letter. We should note that it was broken by Trish Regan of Fox Business News. I saw this letter and I thought it was a joke. I thought it was a hoax. Uh, But then I sent it to um, Stephanie Grisham, the White House press secretary, and she said it was real. I mean, you don't want to laugh because it is a very serious issue, but it is very emblematic of Donald Trump's style, essentially saying, like, do the right thing or everyone's going to think of you as the devil. And like, by the way, I'll call you later. I don't I don't think this is what these letters normally look like when you send this kind of thing. Uh, But it's pretty clear that Erdogan didn't heed these warnings. I mean, he didn't take this very seriously, obviously, and that's the position we're in right now. But it's just a striking window into how the president operates one-on-one with world leaders. And I'm told I misspoke earlier that the, that the president announced uh, the troop withdrawal on the 6th, the on Sunday the 6th. So this is a letter he sent to the a Turkish president after. after he'd already announced. And so he was, he was saying, uh, even though the troops have been taken back, Erdogan, don't, don't slaughter uh, the, the Syrians, let's make a deal. Your, yeah, so, your response so, listen, to this. so I, 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 of course, have a different different viewpoint. Right, the president's tweeted this out. I think he's trying to make it abundantly clear to, to Erdogan that uh, you know he's getting, this is the best deal he's going to get with the you know the general leading the Kurdish defense forces, the SDF there, Mazalun. Um, but what and, deal? What and, deal is there? Well, I don't know what de- I, I don't know. He, he said I'm enclosing you know General yeah. Mazalun's letter enclosed here within, I think is what it said. So I'm not quite sure what deal they were trying to cut. I, I don't know. But do you support the withdrawal of the U.S.? Yeah, no, I, so, so I, like Senator Paul and Senator Tim Kaine and others, I think there should be a vote on authorization of use of military force. I don't think we should put America's uh, men and women in harm's way without a robust debate in the Senate. And I think uh, in, the, in, the, in the House and the Congress and, you know, people should really. So the, you think it was too rash? I, I think it was rash. But I, but I think the question is this. I hear Chuck Schumer saying, you know, Turkey's not our ally. These guys are our ally. What are we what are we there for? What if our, what's our objective? We should know what we're there for. What are kids dying for there? That's a it's a fair question. But you agree that it was rash. Uh, Karen, your response. Well, to I'm the just, I, I just go back to I'd like to know. I hope we learn more about what this deal was, because actually, as CNN reported on the 12th, it was that General Maslin who said you are leaving us to be slaughtered. So right. clearly whatever deal they thought might have been in place several days prior fell through. Yeah. Uh, and we've now seen what's happened in the successive days. And this le- I mean, the letter is very unusual. Don't be a tough guy. Uh, history will look at you as the devil if good things don't happen. Don't be a fool. And it's clear that they've also had several phone calls, which we know. I mean, the president has talked about this. But, I mean, it's a very unusual way for the president, and this president in particular, has, you know, an amazing command of the bully pulpit to explain his position, to explain American foreign policy. You know, there have been so many different uh, viewpoints and contradictory uh, things just over the last several days here. I think that uh, the release of this does not sort of clarify it all. But give a speech to the nation. Say what the objective is. There's been nothing like that at all. Right. Yeah. So it is confusing. And we should note that, I mean, the, the release of this letter also comes just as the House of Representatives just overwhelmingly uh, Democrats and Republicans voted to rebuke the president for his decision to withdraw U.S. forces from northern Syria. We're going to have more breaking news from the White House meeting. That's next. Stay with us. We have some breaking news for you. Republican congressional leaders just spoke outside the White House following a meeting with the president and Democratic leaders on Syria. The Republicans said they felt satisfied with the president's sanctions on Turkey. Minority leader of the House, Kevin McCarthy, coming out swinging over Democrats walking out of the meeting with President Trump, though he did not dispute that the president called Speaker Pelosi a third-rate politician and insulted the Democrats. I see a pattern of behavior with uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi. 
She storms out of another meeting, trying to make it unproductive. The other Democrats stayed and actually had a very productive meeting. Pelosi said that the president had a meltdown during the meeting. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.